love it when we get to come together on Sunday morning and sing God's praises and enjoy fellowship with one another. I look forward to seeing all of you every week. hope you know that. I really do. It means a lot. And uh, I'm just so thankful you're here. We're starting this new series today uh, based on the New Testament book of Hebrews. Um, and, you know, uh, there's some of us that, I'm sorry, I just have to do this because I can't let it go by, that think that's about guys making coffee, you know, Hebrews. Uh, but... But but it's really it's really it's some, some it's really not. Uh, this is a book in the New Testament, and but guys do make coffee. But uh, in this case, the book of Hebrews uh, it's it's estimated to have been written uh, some around 66 or 67 uh, A.D. and that was during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. If you remember Nero, he was not a great guy. Okay. And, uh, and so that was a period for Christians, for followers of Jesus, of a lot of physical, social, and religious persecution. Tough time uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And this persecution caused a number of followers of Jesus uh, to want um, to go back, to think maybe if they went back to the old ways of the law, uh, it would help them avoid some of that persecution that they were, uh, that they were experiencing. Now, the authorship of the book of Hebrews, who actually wrote it, is unknown. Number of opinions, okay? Uh, uh, quite a few scholars believe it was either written by Apollos, Silas, or Barnabas. But the fact is, nobody knows for sure, okay? Uh, wasn't Paul, because it's just not written the way Paul wrote. It just didn't fit his style of writing at all. Um, Okay, what Hebrews does, and we're going to see this over the coming weeks, is it compares and contrasts Jesus to key people and events from the Old Testament. And through these comparisons over the coming weeks, uh, what we're going to clearly see is Jesus' superiority. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than the Torah. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the promised land. All earthly priests, temple sacrifices, and even the original covenant. Even though these early believers were suffering for their faith, they were following Jesus. And Jesus is the only way to truly know God. And while they were suffering, what this book was doing, what this letter was doing, was challenging them to persevere. Challenging them to persevere. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that the only one person uh, who deserves to hold the primary place in our lives is Jesus. So let's begin by reading today's scripture. It's Hebrews uh, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 14. That's Hebrews 1, 1 through 14. And that says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as his name 
that he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, and today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? In the first few verses, we're told that God has been speaking, been trying to communicate with his people for a long time. For example, through the prophets, ones that God called. Uh, they were speaking the words of God. People like Hosea, Ezekiel, Malachi. So let's stop for just a second. What's the difference between Jesus and the prophets? How are they different? Jesus, Jesus is God. People, the prophets are people being used by God. And yeah. Right. The prophets spoke on behalf of God. But when Jesus speaks, yeah, he's not speaking what he thought he heard. He's speaking what he knows. He's speaking the word of God. Fulfilled. Yeah, the prophets... The prophets pointed to Jesus. The prophets spoke about one who would come. Jesus is the one. Yeah, so, so, so we see very clearly, right, there is a difference in terms of superiority. There's a, there's a difference in Jesus and, and the prophets. Jesus is clearly superior. Each time God spoke through those prophets, he revealed a little bit more of himself and his plans, Right? Okay, uh, he provided them with direction on how they could live full and abundant lives. Laws that they could live by. And about his desire to have a relationship with his people. But God also revealed himself and his plans through visions and angelic visits and, and, and events. For example, to Zechariah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Ruth. Yes, Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Yeah, 
God also, he, he spoke through visions and angelic visits and events. You remember it was Zechariah when, uh, when God wanted Zechariah to know that he was going to finally have a son. He sent an angel in Luke 1, verses 11 to 20. Uh, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. That's because people are always afraid when they see angels. Okay. Uh, it's, it's kind of one of those, I always love that. You know, don't be afraid. You know. okay. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and call him John. He's going to be a joy and a delight for you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and, to the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel gave Zechariah a big message. He told him all of that. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been spent, sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now, Zechariah, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words and that they would come and they will come true at their appointed time. Jesus is superior to angels, but the angels are important because they are sent by God. And when an angel brings you a message, it's from God. And Zechariah questioned that message. And so there was a price to pay, okay? He would not speak until it came true. Now, that was Gabriel, and you know, he, so then he left Zechariah. But then, pretty quickly after that, it tells us that Gabriel was then also sent to Mary. God sent Gabriel to Mary to announce that she would give birth to God's son and name him Jesus. And then, when Jesus had been born... God sent an unnamed angel to a group of shepherds who were watching over their flocks just outside of Bethlehem to announce that the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, had been born in Bethlehem. And it's a story we know, but think about all these ways that God is using his messengers, his angels. And no sooner does this unnamed angel del deliver the message to the shepherds, but a whole choir of angels appears in the sky. And they're singing, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace on those whom his, uh, his favor rests. And telling them, that, uh, and worshiping the long-awaited Messiah. And, but then those angels, because they were sent to do a job, to, to worship the newborn child, the minute they finished, they went back into heaven. Because their job was completed. Look, God used many methods from the beginning to help us to get to know him. And while all of those acts were fully directed and inspired by God, 
none of them fully disclosed his plans and his will for us until he sent Jesus. Until he sent Jesus. In verse 2, it said that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. And this passage then goes on to tell us more about God's Son, Jesus. It says that Jesus is the heir of all things, and that the universe was made through him, and that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So now, what are some of the important things we just learned about Jesus from what I just read? What is it? He's, he's the exact representation of God. Yeah. What, yeah, in human form. Yeah. What else did we learn from that verse? He made that he created everything that was made was made through him. That he spoke to us, that he is the heir of all things, and that he is the radiance of God's glory. Yeah. And then it says right after that, it says, finally then, through Jesus, through his powerful word, he is sustaining all things. Heard somebody call it one time, it's God's glue. God, he's holding it, he is sustaining all things. Then it tells us that once Jesus had provided a solution, purification for our sins, which we know meant his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection. Right? That was the price he paid for our sins. It says that he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. And we just read, that's where he is. Because his work has been completed, hasn't it? For our salvation. God adds even more details about Jesus that we can read in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. It says there that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or, or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm just going to paraphrase that in the way we talk today. Okay? The world was created by Jesus for Jesus, and one day he will rule and reign over everything. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue, every tongue, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I know. Look, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? 
I mean, do you, do you think that last verse sounds kind of incredible? Because, and maybe one of the reasons you might think it sounds a little credible is I think all of us probably know some people who, if you ask them, they would say, I will never bow down to anyone or anything. They act that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, some of those people are very powerful, you know. Some of them are elected. Some of them are dictators. Some of them are criminals, you know. But whatever, or maybe they're just poor supervisors at work. I don't know, you know. But there are people in our lives who who do not act, who act as if they would never bow down before anything. But the fact is a day is coming when every knee will bow. Right now, we have the choice. We get to bow willingly. We, we are given the privilege of bowing and, and giving our hearts to Jesus and living for him and bowing down and praising and worshiping him because we love him and doing it willingly. A day will come for those who have been unwilling. They will still do it. They will still do it. And it will happen because Jesus is Lord of all whether they know it or not, whether they want it or not, whether they received him or not, he is still Lord of all. During the early years of Christianity, there were false teachers at that time when this was written, okay, who would try to discredit Jesus by trying to demote him, okay, by trying to demote him uh, from being God's son. Uh, some of them wanted to say that he was really just another angel, uh, maybe even like a head angel, you know. But, but we know this isn't true because in verse 4, it told us that Jesus is superior to the angels. And in verse 5, it says that God called him my son. He said, you are my son and I am your father. And, G and God never called any angel his son. Verses 6 and 7 then describe the role that God has assigned to angels. And he says, let all God's angels worship Jesus. And as we read a moment ago, remember what I told you, when the angels appeared in the sky and over Bethlehem, they were worshiping, okay? The shepherds were witnesses of this. God also calls the angels servants. Servants that are at his disposal. That's why Gabriel showed up to Zechariah. God sent him. That's why he showed up to Mary. God sent him. Right? That's why an unnamed angel, we don't know who, showed up to the shepherds because they were, he was sent. And that choir was sent by God. To... We also know that he is servants at his disposal, and Jesus confirmed it for himself in the Garden of Eden. Uh, not, excuse me, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, when uh, when he was, yeah, not the Garden of Eden, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, when the soldiers came to arrest him. Do you remember uh, the situation? The soldiers came, and and one of, uh, one of the, the people with Jesus grabbed a sword and, you know, cut off a guy's ear, and Jesus told him to stop. Okay, well, right there, Jesus said in, in Matthew 26, verses 52 and 54, he said, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword die by the sword. And then listen to this. He says, do you not think 
that I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That's a lot of angels. Okay? But, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus could have put a stop to the whole deal right there if he had wanted to because he had angels at his disposal as well to serve him, protect him. But that would have been a bad thing for us. It would have left us without a Savior. Look, everything we've just read confirms that Jesus is not an angel. He's not a chief angel. He's not even some other kind of created being. He's been with God since the creation of all that exists. Jesus, like God, is eternal. Eternal. Jesus is far superior to the angels. Verse 9 teaches us that Jesus was set above everything and everyone else being anointed with the oil of joy. Okay. What is joy? Tell me what joy is. Not not having any not having any sadness or feelings of depression. Yeah, not okay. What else? It's it's something from within that carries you through circumstances. Any other thoughts? Yes. Happiness is okay. Yeah, can be happiness. You know the the dictionary. Okay, you know, not the Bible. The dictionary uh, defines joy as a state of being that allows you to experience feelings of intense, long-lasting happiness and satisfaction. Another dictionary definition says it's a feeling of great satisfaction or pleasure that is long-lasting. A more spiritual joy is described as, now think about this, a calm a calm, an unruffled feeling, a composed and serene state of mind. Peaceful. When you have joy, aren't you at peace? And, you know, I, I guess I tend to think of happiness is an, is an event. I mean, it's my birthday, you bring out a cake, I'm happy. No, do you know what I mean? Happiness is, is an event. Joy is from within our hearts. Right? You, you can't, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I can make you joyful. Do you see what I mean? I don't think I can give you joy. Any, I don't think you can give me, you can make me happy by, uh, you know, come over and cut my grass some Saturday. That'll make me happy. No, you, you know what I mean? There, there are things you can do to make someone kind of create happiness, right? But I can't make you feel joy. Joy comes up from within. It comes from our spirit, doesn't it? And, and so, so here's, and here's why this is such a big deal. Who here would like to have joy in their life? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I would hope every hand would go, <laughs> right? Either you've got it or you want it, right? I mean, this is kind of like, who wouldn't want joy in your life? Okay, well, here's the good news. You can have it. Jesus is the source of joy because it says he's the only person in Scripture that says he was anointed with the oil of joy. That means he's the source of joy. Okay? Then verse 13 clarifies again the superiority of Jesus over the angels and that God never invited any angel to sit down at his right hand. He never said, come on over, let's watch the football game. I mean, he never, he never invited anyone to sit at his right hand other than Jesus. And he said, come and sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's scripture. Verse 14 then confirms that the angels are ministering spirits who are sent to serve God's children at God's direction. Okay, so we've looked at, now at all these verses in Hebrews 1, and I mean, I think it's clear that Jesus is superior to the angels and to all those sent by God, but not Jesus, right? And so if Jesus is superior to the angels and everyone and everything else, then the question for us becomes, how should we respond? What should we do with what we've just confirmed? Well, it becomes really clear the first thing we should do then is we should receive Jesus as our eternal Savior. Here's the thing. You and I both, we need a past, present, and future solution for our sins. We need our sins of the past forgiven. We need the sins we might commit today forgiven. And we need the sins that we'll probably commit tomorrow and next week forgiven. That requires an eternal Savior. That requires a Savior, a salvation that covers it all, past, present, and future. Angels are important and powerful, but angels are not eternal. Angels are created beings. They had a start date. Jesus has been with God since the beginning. He is eternal. Jesus provides you with the only acceptable sacrifice of payment for your sins. Second thing is become a member of God's family. Jesus is God's son. The angels are not God's sons, daughters, or children. They are his servants. They are his messengers. When you and I become a follower of Jesus, when we give our heart to the Lord and become a follower of Jesus, you too become one of God's children. And the Bible says you become a joint heir, a co-heir with Jesus. The third thing we want to do is spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Jesus is God's final revelation. The prophets pointed, the prophets gave us portions. Jesus was the final and is the final revelation. And here's why that's important. No one else is coming. Does that make sense? No one else is coming. 
There's not, a, there's not a clearer message coming. Remember the story in, in, about the guy that, that, that died and, 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 and was, sent to, was sent to hell, and he said, oh, let me go back and, and tell my, you know, my brothers. I don't want my family to end up where I am. And, and he was told, well, no, if, if you wouldn't listen to what was given, they won't, you know, they're not going to listen to you. I mean, here's the thing we need to understand. Jesus was God's final revelation because he was the whole thing. He is the answer. And there's not another big message, not another revelation coming. So we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. John 14, 6, Jesus said, it couldn't be any more clear. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth of that verse is that, you know, there are people who want to be very uh, tolerant, and they like to talk about all paths leading to God. That's a lie. It might sound nice, but it's a lie. There's only one path that leads to God, and that's Jesus. All other paths or attempts to get to God are simply a path to destruction and a path to an eternity separated from God. That's the superiority of Jesus. Would you guys stand with me as we uh, prepare to close today? So, um, Everybody, just, just bow your head. Nobody looking around. Today, if you've never done it and, and you want to ask Jesus into your life, you, you want to take that step and become have Jesus become your Lord and Savior because you understand there's no one else coming. This is, he is the final revelation. So that, that way, and by doing this, you want to become a member of God's family. You want to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. If today's the day you want to ensure that you are a follower of Jesus, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Hey, great. Thank you. Praise God. And put your hands down. For the rest of you, you know, if you're already a follower of Jesus, but today is just a day to make a good recommitment of your faith. If you just want to say, Jesus, I love you. I recommit to follow you and being obedient to your word because I want whatever life I have remaining to count for you. If that's you, raise your hand. Praise God. All right, Lord, you've seen our hands. God, we want to be followers of Jesus. Lord, today, for those who made that commitment for the first time, we say praise God and welcome to the family. And Lord, to those who are recommitting, Lord, I pray that you will give us strength and power of the Holy Spirit to live our lives fully for you each day. Because Lord, whatever time remains in our lives, because we don't know, we want it to count for you. We want to be faithful servants because when we see you in eternity, we want to hear that promise in your word of well done good and faithful, sir.
We thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in each of our lives. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.